baptized in spirit or in body for the reading of the gospel among the people. God's kingdom challenges what we deem good and right. Constructs that keep us in our place come undone in the kingdom of heaven. A reading from Matthew's gospel, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for their vineyard. After they agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out again at nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again around noon and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Again, around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also then go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their wages. Beginning with the, one, with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first ones. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now when the hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. They said, those who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had worked the whole day in the hot sun? But he replied to one of them, friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? So those who are last will be first. And those who are first will be last. Glory to God. Well, so in these moments, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to confess here at the beginning of this message that this story today, the one that Elisa just read from Matthew's Gospel, straight from the lips of Jesus, makes me a little crazy, actually. Barbara Brown Taylor says that the parable of the laborers and the vineyard is a little like cod liver oil. You know Jesus is right, you know it's good for you, but that doesn't make it any easier to swallow. This parable Uh, let's be honest, offends almost every notion of fairness that we possess, especially if we were weaned on the doctrine of the American work ethic, the centerpiece of which is that hard work and hustle will get you to the front of the line. For those of us who were raised that way, this parable isn't merely confusing, it's downright abhorrent. It appears to reward those who've done the least, while sending those who've worked the longest and the hardest to the very back of the line. 
So here's the story. Listen to it again. Early in the morning, a landowner goes to the marketplace, to the corner where all of those without steady jobs hang out. And he hires a handful of them to work for the day in his vineyard. He offers them a denarius, which is a fair day's wage, and the workers agree. Then at nine in the morning, the vineyard owner is back in the marketplace, sees people standing around with nothing to do, and he says, want to come work for me for the rest of the day? You bet, they say, and off they go. Landowner does the very same thing again at noon and at three o'clock, bringing more workers back with him each time, having promised each of them, I'll pay you whatever is right. Well, finally, at five in the afternoon, with only one hour left to work, the landowner returns yet again to this corner and finds a few people still standing around. And he gathers them up and he takes them back to the vineyard where they help the others who've been working all day finish the day's labor. Well, then comes the moment they've all been waiting for. The sweltering sun has gone down and uh, the shadows have begun to lengthen and an evening breeze is beginning to blow and the landowner calls the manager to come and give out all of the paychecks to the, to the workers. And so beginning with the last to be hired, the manager places, of all things, a denarius into each of their hands. And when they gasp out loud, the others lean in to see what's happening, and this excited murmur passes through the crowd. Can you believe how generous the landowner is? If he's paying these latecomers a, a, a whole denarius for just one hour's work, then the rest of us who came at dawn are about to be rich. But before they have time to imagine all the ways they're going to spend this sudden windfall, the manager continues handing out the wages, one denarius, one denarius, one denarius. Whether they had come at dawn and labored all day or showed up at five to work that final hour, the pay is exactly the same. And everybody's cool with that, right? <laughs> no. Imagine the outrage of those who came at dawn I mean, there they stand with their sunburned faces and their clothes dripping with sweat. These guys put in just one hour, they argue. And you've paid them the same as us? So whenever we're trying to make sense of a perplexing text like this one, it sometimes helps to look at what's happening around the story, what comes before and after. And so we're in Matthew 20. In Matthew 19, just before our parable, Peter has asked Jesus what he and the other disciples can expect for their faithfulness. We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What are we going to get from this? And Jesus promises them they'll sit on 12 thrones alongside him when in the new world to come. But he says, many that are first are going to be last, and the last will be first. And then he tells the story we heard about the landowner and the vineyard. That's what happens before our story today. What happens just after is that the mother of the Zebedee boys come to Jesus 
and does what mothers will do, tries to garner a little extra favor for her two sons, James and John. She asks Jesus to give them the highest place of honor, one on his left side, one on his right, when he comes into his reign. And Jesus, I'm sure, is kind, but basically tells her she has no idea what she's asking. She can't begin to fathom the suffering that's coming, not only to Jesus, but to those who follow him. All that to say, Jesus is telling our parable today from the context of having those closest to him jockeying for position, competing for the best seats, fighting to be first in line. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of place? Whenever I fly, often I fly on Southwest Airlines. I like Southwest. They have this kind of egalitarian operation going. You know, there's no first class, um, and, and uh, you don't receive your seat assignment until 24 hours before takeoff. If you've ever flown Southwest, you know this is true. So if you have a 6 a.m. flight the next morning, you get up at 5.50 the day before and, and you stumble downstairs and you sit at your computer with your finger poised on the check-in button on the Southwest website. There are three boarding groups, A, B, and C, and your goal is to land in the A boarding group with a low number, A15, A25. See, if you're in the A group, you get your choice of the best seats on the plane. Now, the B group is still fine. You sit a little farther back, but there's usually still good seats to be had and some space in the overhead for your bag. What you really want to avoid is winding up in the C group. These are the people who forgot to check in. It didn't dawn on them until just a few hours before takeoff. Oh, I need to check in. And if you wind up in the C group with a high number, C40, heaven forbid, C60, you might as well make your peace with the fact that you're going to have to check your bag and you're going to be sitting in the back of the plane by the toilets in a middle seat, probably wedged between two linebackers, all the way to Albuquerque. You want to be first on Southwest. Now, can you imagine the pandemonium if the boarding agent were to announce to all the passengers up front that today Southwest is reversing the order of things and today everyone in C group, everyone at the back of the line, those who forgot to check in, who didn't get up early the day before, will get to board first. No way. Those of us in the A group, we at the front of the line, have earned our place in line. We deserve to go first. We know it. Everyone else knows it. We're counting on the one in charge to know it too. But according to Jesus, the one in charge just feels like being generous. The vineyard is his. The money is his. Can't I do what I want with what belongs to me, he asks, or do you begrudge my generosity? You bet they begrudge it. Like most people, they have this internal sense about what's fair and what's not. Rewarding those who work the most is fair. Rewarding those who do the least is not fair. 
Treating everyone the same is fair. Treating everyone the same when they are not the same is not fair. Life often seems unfair. You've heard the stories. A government worker arrives early every morning, covers the office until her late co-workers show up. She skips lunch so she can catch up on her assignments. And when everybody else manages to leave early, she stays late to finish up, get the job done. And at her annual review, the supervisor calls her in and says, you are doing a great job. And I see how you go above and beyond around here. I'm afraid, though, that we just can't give merit increases this year. Everyone's getting the same modest raise. Doesn't feel fair. Or a man cares for his elderly mother, takes her into his own home when she becomes too frail to live alone. And even though he has three brothers and sisters, he never hears from them. They call from time to time to say how grateful they are, but none of them offers to help. And then the mother dies, and the whole family shows up as if they've been there all along. And at the attorney's office, they're all ears. And this man who has spent almost all of his life savings caring for his mother sits and listens as the will is read. I leave my estate to be divided equally among my four dear children because I love them all the same. It's not fair. Now sometimes readers of this parable today will try to spiritualize it by saying that the working in the field is an allegory for serving God or working hard in the church. But I really caution us against uh, comparing the ones who got hired at the end of the day at 5 p.m. To, to not to compare them with maybe churchgoers who just sleep in on Sunday mornings. As Matthew Skinner, who's a New Testament professor at Luther Seminary, uh, points out, this parable actually draws its force from economic realities. And so when we imagine those that the vineyard owner runs into when he's out looking in the late afternoon for people to come, we would do well to ask ourselves, what kinds of people are the last to find jobs and are added to the list only when there's no other labor available? There's nothing in this parable to suggest that the workers hired at the end of the day are in any way uh, irresponsible or lazy. More likely, they're undervalued and unwanted. So, what kinds of people spend the whole day waiting and hoping to be hired? In Jesus' day, it would have been the weak, the sick, the disabled, the foreigner. In our day, we kind of need to expand that list to include older people, retired people, undocumented people, formerly incarcerated people, to name a few. And this parable asks us to pause and and to inquire, in, in what way does a society that promises, quote, justice for all, vilify, shame, and ignore the very people whom God 
chooses to bless with unusual generosity. According to Jesus, God is the landowner who puts the same amount of money into each little envelope and tells the manager to pass them out, beginning at the end of the line with the folk who came last and worked least. And the manager does what he's told, begins handing out that day's wage to everyone in line. But see, depending on where that manager happens to be in line, he encounters a very different response. Way in the back are all the latecomers, those who've been waiting all day, hoping for a call. And they're the ones who realize they'd still be standing there if it weren't for the kindness of the landowner. And so into each of their hands, the manager places sheer grace, a full day's wage. And so back at the end of the line with the last and the least, there's a lot of clapping and cheering and high fives and shouts of, can you believe this? Up near the front of the line, though, it's a very different story. As it begins to dawn on those who've been there all day, what's going on, they turn hostile. But here's the thing. These early arrivers, even though they can't see it, are also given grace, a day's wage, provision for their need. It's just that grace isn't their framework. Their vocabulary is full of, I deserve, and where's mine, and this is my right. Such a contrast between those who came early and those who came late. In every case, the pay is the same, a fair day's wage, but how it's received depends entirely on what he or she believes they deserve. Those who've gotten more than they think they deserve are ecstatic. Those who've gotten less are furious. And it's to those folk that the landowner says, look, just take what belongs to you and go. Am I not allowed to do what I want with what belongs to me? And so the, the impact of this parable on us who are listening hinges entirely on where we locate ourselves in the line. And I don't know about you, but I almost always seem to hear this story from the front of the line. I think that's how most people who grew up in places of privilege hear this parable. But is it possible that, we've, that I've had it wrong and maybe you have too about where we stand in line? You ever think about that? Could it be that from God's perspective, not only are some of us in this room not at the front of the line, Good grief, we're, we're back halfway around the block with all sorts of people ahead of us in line. Just imagine for a minute that it is you back there standing on tiptoe knowing you are never going to be hired, that all the jobs are going to be gone before you get there, and it makes you want to cry, it makes you want to give up, when suddenly the landowner appears out of nowhere and says, we're starting at this end of the line today. You want to come work in the vineyard? And everybody at the end of the line starts to cheer. And so for reasons we may never understand, God loves to scramble the systems that we set up down here to explain why God should love some of us more than others of us. By starting at the back of the line with the last and the least, 
the beloved lets us know that God's ways are not our ways. So according to Jesus, God isn't fair. And depending on where you stand in line, that can sound like mighty good news. Because if God isn't fair, then there's a chance that we're going to get better than we deserve. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who God is. God isn't fair. God is generous. And only when, when we get upset about God's irrational generosity, it's only because we've forgotten where we stand in line. So brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, when the work is done and the manager heads toward the end of the line to hand out the paychecks, maybe, just maybe, the cheers and the clapping and the laughter and the gratitude will turn out to be yours and mine. May God make it so. And so gracious, generous God, we may never fully comprehend how it is that you love nothing more than to lavish grace on your children. Give us humility and wisdom to see where we stand in your world. And for any here who are finding it hard to trust that your extravagant invitation really is for them, please give the gift of faith. And now, loving God, let us work for you and wait for you in gratitude until the day when you call us all in from the fields. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Custom after the message each Sunday to step through a doorway of sorts uh, into stillness and silence so we may listen to Holy Spirit continue to speak to us. And today in the silence, I invite you, if this is your need today, maybe to even to offer some confession to God of pride if you feel that you've been confused about where you stand in God's big world. Or maybe there's some people or a person whom you've regarded mostly as back-of-the-line kinds of people. Maybe it would be helpful and a relief to you to sort of come clean about that. And God welcomes our confessions or maybe this morning it's really different for you. Maybe it's you who are feeling undervalued or unwanted or anxious and you're wondering where life maybe is going. Can you hear the most gracious, welcoming voice saying, why don't you come into my vineyard? Yes, it's late and there are plenty of others who've been here a while, but I want you. Here's a place for you. And so in the stillness, as we imagine the face of Christ and the voice of Christ speaking to us, let's, let's imagine how we might respond and then do so.
Hear our prayer, O Lord. Amen.